In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my savvy co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick? Yeah, very well, Mark. How are you? Awesome. Patrick, what show is this? This is episode number 34. Um, and we actually, once again, have a guest. We have a Russell Stewart with us. How are you doing today, Russell? Good, good. Yeah. And Russell, you and I have known each other for quite a while now, haven't we? Yeah, what, seven or eight years we served on the API Houston board together. Yep, so Russell and I are board members of API Houston. Um, and But Russell does more than just uh, make funny jokes and serve on boards. Uh, Russell, you actually have a very fascinating company that does some really cool stuff in the industry. Well, I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your audience will. Yeah, I'm sure they will. So one thing that my audience knows is that the oil and gas industry as a whole does its best to be environmentally responsible. In fact, we're in the few industries where almost everybody in this industry is measured on their impact to the environment. And of course, we, that falls under the whole health, safety, and environmental, which is what this whole podcast is about, HS&E in oil and gas. But every now and then, Russell, something bad happens, right? Somebody has a spill, somebody makes a mistake. And instead of letting it sit there as an industry, we want to go and clean it up and fix it. And that's what y'all help uh, companies do, right? That's exactly what we do. Yeah. And so what type of, and that's usually called environmental remediation, right? What type of remediation? Because there's all kinds of remediation out there. What type of y'all actually do? Well, we do what's called in situ remediation. And the idea is to actually treat it on site so that you don't have to dig and haul it off someplace else. Yeah. And so that is a game changer because typically what happens when we have a spill of some sort, um, uh, the old way of doing it was actually go to remove all that soil and then transport it somewhere and then dispose of it. But the company that caused the spill still had liability for that soil no matter where it was. Y'all are able to actually come and not only not have the cost of having to remove that soil and haul it somewhere and dispose of it, but then you also reduce the liability because you're treating it right there. That's exactly right. And so talk a little bit about what type of spills y'all specialize in. Well, we specialize in in oil and saltwater spills. And if people don't understand, why is saltwater associated with the oil and gas industry? Well, because when you go down in the ground and you drill oil, you know, there's there's uh, a byproduct of that is is actually what we call produced water. Right. And so uh, produced water comes up with your with your oil, and so you have to separate those two things. And the produced water is extremely saline. Right. Depending upon who you talk to, eight to 20 times more salty than what you would associate with water that's out in the Gulf. And so that produced water is a problem and you have to dispose of it properly and it has to be moved around. And sometimes when it's moved around, a leak happens. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, uh, here's one uh, from uh, North Dakota back in January of 2015 and it was almost 3 million barrels. 3 million barrels? Oh, I'm so, no, was, they, they measured it in gallons. It's 3 million gallons. 3 million gallons of produced water, which is which would just destroy all the vegetation that, that hit right on the ground. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. If you don't understand that concept, you can go to our website, and you can see you can see pictures of it. But what happens when you when you have a, a huge influx of salt water on, on the soil, and we don't want to get real technical here as far as soil science goes, but 
everybody, I think, understands magnets and opposite ends of magnets, and they understand positive and negative. The, what, what constitutes soil is all what are called negative anons, and the things that make soil fertile, like calcium and magnesium and, and, and these sort of things, those are all positive cations, and so they attach themselves to the, to the clay or to the soil. Well, what happens when you, when you have a big influx of sodium it attaches itself to the clay and in in layman's terms in simplest terms what the sodium does is is it it dehydrates the the soil it makes it impossible for anything to grow there well that's because it, it affects the osmotic pressure and the soil cannot take up water and it also causes the soil to not hold together and it, it and it, it erodes and so there's there's no way for the for plants to get to, to get water and there's no way for them to, to hold together and so yeah it's impossible for for anything to grow so what you do is the uh, the preferred cation to to counteract that is calcium and if you understand how water softener works for example you've got hard water because you've got calcium and magnesium in your water so what you do is you pour salt in it to get rid of calcium and magnesium this is exactly the opposite you right take calcium and magnesium and you put it on the soil and that gets rid of the salt yeah and so one of the the really bad things about a saltwater spill is because it kills vegetation then the public sees it and sees it almost i mean literally within a week of that salt hitting the ground plants are dying and so it looks bad in the public so not just are we talking here about actually doing remediation of contaminated soil we're also talking about um, how the the public as a whole sees the oil and gas industry if you have a big swaths of dead vegetation people will go point and say look the oil and gas industry did something bad whereas y'all are able to come in remediate the soil not haul anything out there get plants to grow back again so then there you can't visually see that that environmental impact even happened that's funny that you mentioned that because i've i've just been working on a, a presentation for something that i was asked to do and uh here's a here's a newspaper headline from August 27, 2014, in a town in uh, North Dakota. And the big headline is, Saltwater Spills Leave North Dakota Farmland Sterile for Years. Yeah. And then there's a picture of a, and it's a, a saltwater spill on land near Daryl pa uh, Patterson's farm outside Antler, North Dakota. And yeah, look, it's, it's in the middle of a, uh, I believe that was a, uh, a peanut soy field, uh, soybean field. And yeah, it's ugly. It's terrible. And so this this article, you know, shows those pictures and talks about the number of spills and and all that sort of thing. And there's no need for it, right? Because we can we can fix that right then and there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, without well, having to haul heavy equipment or having uh, people or labor or any of that stuff involved. Well, and this is a problem that dates back thousands of years. I mean, I remember in social studies the you know the romans would salt the earth of exactly right. i think after the salt battle of, the fields of their enemies. yeah so nothing will ever grow there and i was under the impression nothing would ever grow there that you couldn't remediate the problem and actually solve it yeah so yeah that's a, i haven't thought about that salt of the earth that's exactly right and then um the, so you know russell your company helps fix the environment helps fix the spill helps remediate that but the public relations part of it is is enormous as well well <clears throat> yeah i was preparing for a presentation and I actually that was that was the title of of my uh of my presentation was I know where you're calling from and <laughs> you know and I don't know if you want to hear the story behind where that where that uh, where that came up with but but uh, uh I had I had been asked to do this presentation at the last minute to uh, take the place of another speaker who had kind of 
had to cancel at the last minute. It are, this other thing had already been advertised. That's why people had come to the to the meeting, you know. So I told them the, the story. This is a story from years ago, but it was about the pompous United States senator. That's a little redundant. Let me back up. <laughs> <coughs> it was about the United States senator, and he loved to go around making speeches. And he always started off his speeches the same way. He would look out over his audience, and he would say, why are we all here? Why are we all here? Well, one day he was asked to to deliver the keynote speech at a uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony for a state mental institution. So he stood up, looked out over his audience. He said, why are we all here? Why are we all here? One inmate raised his hand and said, sir, if I understand it correctly, the reason we're all here is because we're not all here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what I explained to him was the reason I was here was because we were were not all here because the speaker had had to cancel at the last minute. But there's a sequel to that story, which was the real reason that that I uh, wanted to, uh, to tell the story. And that is that... At, according to the story, and remember, this is for for most of your audience, I think they won't even be able to imagine this, but this was before the days of the ubiquitous cell phone. He wanted to make a call to his office back in Washington, so he had to find a payphone in the mental institution there and go through the operator. And you might imagine it might be a little difficult to make a payphone call from a state mental institution to a Senate office in Washington. Sure enough, he couldn't get through. (laughs) And uh, the operator wasn't of much assistance either. And so finally, in frustration, he yelled, lady, do you know who I am? And she said, no, sir, but I know where you're calling from. (laughs) (laughs) And, And my point, the point in the presentation was, is in the oil and gas industry, we need to understand where the public is calling from, what their perspective is. And their perspective is exactly what I just said about this newspaper headline, you know, and the fact that it leaves farmland sterile for years and it's it's all over the place. There was there was another article that I did in the research when I was when I was looking at the uh, uh, at the three million uh, gallon spill. They provided all the statistics for actually how many spills there had been in in North Dakota over the past four or five years, and. Just in the last 12 months in North Dakota, there were 297 incidents that were not contained. And that not contained means it's overflow of the facility boundaries or it's a leak from a facility pipeline. Out of those 297 incidents, now they weren't all salt water, okay? Some of them were oil. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the top 15 salt water spills, the largest one was 4,000 barrels and the smallest one was 70 barrels of, of salt water. And if that's just left and not remediated, not taken care of, then it creates all these. They, there's one article, there was a million-gallon spill about three years ago in North Dakota. And uh, a, according to the article that was being written, and remember, we're talking about where people are calling. We're talking about their perspective. You know, they made it very plain to say, oh, a year later, we're still dealing with remediation, you know, cleanup on that, on that site. So when you're doing these kind of remediations, is time a factor, the response time to the spill? Or, I mean, can you come in 10, 20, 30 years after a spill and have the same effectiveness? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually have uh, what we call a first response guide. And I could tell you about a company, for example, who has an old production field. I went and talked to their HSE guy, and he said, my number one problem is saltwater spills because the field is so old and there's always uh, valves 
you know, rusting out or there's a hole in the pipeline somewhere or whatever. So they actually keep this type product on hand, and immediately when they discover that they've had a spill, then they go out and they treat it because oftentimes you can mitigate the problems if you'll treat it immediately. Uh, one of the biggest misnomers, and everybody thinks, well, you're just trying to sell your product is why you say this. I can show it to you in writing from qualified soil scientists. One is that uh, study I referred to earlier about the regs that was written by the PhD for, for North Dakota. And he specifically says in there, when you have a spill, do not immediately apply water to the spill. And yet I'll guarantee you talk to nearly every oil and gas operator out there in production field. When they get a saltwater spill, they pour the water to it, whatever. Dr. Lloyd Duell from Texas A&M, who has written a book in the oil and gas industry about soil remediation, he says you don't need to add water to a salt spill. It needs to have some, some calcium in it. Otherwise, the water just, just like when you... Uh, when you add water, when you fertilize your yard and you add water and it helps it helps your fertilizer, you know, well, you add water to the sodium spill, it just helps the sodium spread, absorb it, yeah, yeah, spread yeah. and absorb itself to the clay even better. So if you get a, a calcium source on there immediately, then that's going to help mitigate problems. But for old fields, and in fact, if you look at our website, uh, one of those fields, one of those pictures on there, uh, this was a particular site that was... Uh, very very old and they had been trying to uh, treat it and fix it for the past three years and we went in there and we fixed it now we started getting vegetation growing on it within 12 months I think it was full complete restoration took about three years on the other hand you go look on our website and you can look at some case histories of wheat fields and and those sort of things where we were able to uh, have them grow in wheat again within three months. Wow. So this, this solution you have to saltwater spills, when you said they, they keep it on hand and they apply it immediately, my mind immediately went back 10 years ago when every rig had Dawn and you have an oil spill. They've got Dawn on hand because they want to disperse it, not because they're actually solving a problem, but what your product does is it solves it so where vegetation can grow, grow right. again. Now, yeah. we can handle oil spills too, but I'll tell you what a, a geologist for the Railroad Commission in East Texas told me here in a meeting one time last uh, last year he said i can clean up an oil spill in my sleep he said a saltwater spill's different you know and we have products that are actually designed to uh, treat oil spills which are not microorganisms or bugs as we call them themselves you know but they're nutrients that feed the microorganisms that are already in the in the ground to help to help basically eat up the the oil we had a uh we had a job that we just finished uh, two or three months ago. It was a lightning strike at a tank battery, and it uh, set two tanks on fire. And there was actually a little produced water tank there, a uh, poly tank, and uh, it blew it 100 yards away. That's how powerful the lightning strike was. And uh, we actually uh, were able to go in there and treat that with our products and uh we had closure from the railroad commission i think in 45 days wow that is awesome so russell in in the process of doing this type of work of cleaning up these saltwater spills um it's more than just you coming out there with a product right y'all have to have a lab involved like you have to do some testing do y'all do all that stuff too yeah here's here's the way our our company operates you have to understand i come from the service side of of the industry and i and i understand that when 
when you're talking about environmental and oil and gas, a lot of times your your oil and gas uh, operators they view they're very suspect of environmental companies, right? Because yes. because you know the environmental company will come out there and you know they'll put yellow tape around it and they'll make it look like it's a hazmat scene and all that <laughs> sort of thing, and then and then they want to. Uh, they want to they want to test it to death and they want to you know uh and uh, i i just in fact i'm working on one for an insurance company right now and i just got the the insurance company just sent me the bill that they paid to this environmental company and uh you should see the the line item charges that they have on on this thing you know um and so when we put this together our idea was again coming from the service side of the of the oil and gas side. There's there's a certain process, you know, is is standardized modus operandus. Uh, when you have a spill, obviously the first thing you got to do is you got to contain and stop the spill. Right. Okay. And if you have some liquid phase and stuff, you know, you there there may be some of that that you have to haul off. You know, I mean, for example, oil or whatever. You you know, you're gonna you're gonna suck that up in a vacuum truck and get it out of there if you have a bunch of salt water you're going to want to do the you want to do the same thing take it to a disposal facility then comes the the actual the actual cleanup process uh so you're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to assess the area that's that's damaged you are going to have to take soil samples because because this is based upon this is based upon soil science okay what you've got is in in uh, uh, in in soil, you're going to have what's called an exchangeable sodium percentage. You're going to have what's called a sodium absorption ratio. You're going to have what's called a cation exchange com- uh, capacity. Uh, you're going to have what's called EC or electrical conductivity. All of these things indicate the level of of salt that you have in or the sodium contamination that you have, and those have to be uh, samples have to be collected and those have to be tested at a lab. Okay, once, once you know the level of, of contamination, you know that there's a formula for how much, depending upon the sodium absorption ratio and the ESP, and there's an acceptable level of exchangeable sodium percentage that you've got to get down to, which, which the number's 12. So, for example, you take the, uh, the ESP, let's say it's 35 or 40, you subtract 12, you multiply that by the CEC, and then that gives you a factor for being able to determine how much calcium you need to uh, to exchange the sodium off off of of the clay. So once you know that, then you then you make a plan for you know putting the product down. Now there is some equipment involved because what you've got to do is, is you've got to get your your cal- your liquid calcium product. You've got to get it in the ground. So typically what you'll do is you'll go out to an area and you'll take a bulldozer, for example, and you'll actually what they call rip the ground which there's different ways you can do that but one way is you can take and turn the the blade on the bulldozer and you just literally you literally rip rip the ground um sometimes then you'll also want to uh include some what they call bulking material which helps hold the product so you might want to put some hay in there so what you do is you till what you're doing is you're breaking up the ground and you're tilling in some some bulking material that sort of thing then you apply your product and then you need a lot of water after you apply your product 
and then you wait and you go test it again and see if you're down to to where where you need to be if sometimes you'll have some hot spots or something that you might have to to retreat so i gave you all that process environmental recovery we can do all of that if you come to me and say russell man i you know i want you to handle the whole whole thing and we'll get it done for you okay we'll 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 get it to the to the uh, to the right lab we'll get it te- we'll do the soil samples we'll get it to the right lab we'll get it tested we'll get the contractor out there we'll get the get the job done but what we find in the oil and gas industry is most companies they already have uh like say a first response company for example okay so it, it, oftentimes they will have somebody an engineering firm or something that's capable of going out there and and for example uh, pull soil samples they may even have a, uh, a contract with a lab because if they've got a lot of incidents and, and whatnot, you know, they're getting, getting a lot of soil samples, especially if they're cleaning up old sites and that sort of thing. And then nearly every operator has some kind of contracting company that they've got an MSA with. If they're building locations or if they're going out there and, and working on, you know, wells and you know in production fields and that sort of thing so so what we tell what we tell the company is if you whatever of these things you have in place let's use what you've got because otherwise you got to use us and we got to use somebody like that and then right. charge you an extra 15 percent, you know on top right. of the the bill you know so you already have the msa with the yellow iron contractor you know use him it'll save you money yeah it's interesting having this conversation with you this is a very much an exact science. It's, it's not you going out with a bucket of product and dumping on the ground and hoping for the best. You actually measure, you know what you need to do, you know the process you need to follow. And so this is like pretty specialized knowledge. It's, um, there's a lot of environmental remediation companies out there, but as far as I know, you're one of the first ones I've run across that doesn't require the removal of the soil. You're actually able, able to treat it right there. And it's really cool to hear that it's a science behind all of this. Oh, absolutely. We get our well, we get our soil remediation products for the salt and for the nutrients for for treating oil spills. Uh, we actually get them from uh, Tetra Technologies. Uh, everybody in the oil and gas industry knows, you know, Tetra Tech. Tetra, yep. Yeah, everybody knows Tetra Tech. What what they don't, everybody doesn't know in the oil and gas industry, is that uh, Tetra Tech has a an agricultural division, an actual international agricultural division, and I know one of the original five founders of Tetra Technologies, and and back in the early 90s when they were getting into the agricultural side of the business, they bought a company in West Texas that held patented technology from Texas A&M that involved using liquid calcium and uh, being able to to mix it so that plants would would take in nitrogen, which heretofore they had not been able to do until until this professor came up with this this patented technology but they they had that for the agricultural side and then the oil and gas side went to the agricultural side you know and agriculture is agriculture is a science of course and so they borrowed the science from the agricultural side and brought it over to the oil and gas side because everybody recognized that that calcium is you know preferred cation to displace uh, or exchange sodium off of of the clay heretofore what had always been used was gypsum and the trouble with gypsum is 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 it just takes forever for it to solubilize there's even uh dr lloyd Duell in his book that i referenced earlier he uh he actually talks about as being a consultant for 
oil and gas operators with a with a bad salt spill uh he actually documents when he's actually gone out and they've they've either purchased or leased the land back from the landowner treated it with gypsum and after about eight years then turned around and gave wow. the land back to the <laughs> landowner that's because that's how long gypsum takes to work that's one of the questions i was going to ask so what you t- you told a lot about what you're actually doing how, what is this process is this weeks months years that your process gets the land back to before the driller or the, or the tank facility was even there? It depends upon the level of contamination, and it depends upon how right, There's no typical spill. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. However, we do have, we do have several, several if, if you're interested in that, we have several case histories and case studies on our website, and we've got some that have taken up to 36 months, and we've got some that have taken um, – 30 days and a lot of uh, uh, case histories on the website there uh, with reference to to wheat fields and and that sort of thing and and uh, either being able to grow uh, wheat within uh, 60 to 90 days or by the next growing season and there's even been some documentation where you had a, a, a huge say wheat field area and there was one section that had been contaminated by salt and then where that was treated then the next growing season they actually had more production out <laughs> of that treated part than they did the rest of the field. that is cool that is really cool so anyway russell we're getting close to starting to wind down the show it's but it's about time for red wing safety tip of the week so do you have a safety tip for our audience well i did a uh, presentation to uh international risk managers uh what the acronym is, uh, to uh, a bunch of uh, insurance uh, underwriters and people who handle saltwater claims and everything. And uh, I th- what, what they wanted to know was, is what's the first thing we do when, when there's a spill? And, you know, I, maybe it uh, goes without saying, but, but uh, obviously the first thing you do is, is, you, is, you, is you contain and you, and you stop the spill. But then I guess what I would, uh, what I would uh, caution people as, as, as a safety tip, if you want to avoid this perception from the, from the public about, you know, we're uh, damaging everybody's farm land and all this sort of thing with our, with our saltwater spills, be careful who you call. A lot of companies will go out there and before you even have any before you even know what's happening, they're out there with all kinds of equipment and, and whatnot, and boy, they are digging and hauling. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's that's a good safety tip. It's um, it's also about time for us to mention. We keep mentioning your website. If people wanted to learn more about you and your company, where should they go? Uh, www.erosc.com. That yeah. stands for Environmental Recovery Oil Field Services and Consulting. We'll, we'll link to both the um, your homepage as well as either you do have a bunch of good case studies in there. We'll link to a, a few of those so our you know, audience can go in there and, and check out exactly what this process is, how long it takes, and what the results are. Yeah, and if Russell, people want to connect with you, LinkedIn. Uh, well, you know, you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you can you, say you, you, you know, Mark. That's that's fine. You can do LinkedIn. Russell, what's your fax number? My, <laughs> not my fax number, but. Call me, call me. <laughs> I I give you my telephone number. Call me. Uh, maybe let's not give a, uh, your telephone number on the podcast. But if you want to mention your email, is that better? Yeah, and it's it and it's real simple. It's Russell R U S S E L L at 
E R O S C dot com. Yeah, and Patrick, make sure you put a link in the show notes. Absolutely. And now, um, you know, uh, thanks for having, uh, thanks for being on here, Russell. It was well, a fascinating story, um, and it was a story I didn't actually expect. I didn't actually expect to see that much science behind what you're doing. Now it's time for us to uh, mull over to the Red Wing bag winner. Russell, see the bag behind you? I see the bag. Yeah. If you want to win one of those, it's real easy. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. It's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there, and we draw one lucky winner a week. And it's not just Russell. Anybody listen can also go. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And this week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore bag is... Greg Mitchell, he's a HSC supervisor at Chevron. Congratulations, Greg. You are this week's winner of the awesome Red Wing Offshore Bag. And if, Russell, if you like the show and as big a fan of you seem to be as LinkedIn, we actually have a LinkedIn group, right? So you go to um, our LinkedIn group's Oil & Gas Global Network. So just type in OGGN will pop up, and it's where all of the shows reside as far as LinkedIn. Um, I've seen people help each other. I've seen salespeople trade contacts. Paige Wilson moderates every single person, every single discussion out there, our project manager, to make sure there's no spam ever on our LinkedIn group. She's then, been working overtime in the last couple of weeks. She has been working overtime in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, reviews. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, do us a favor. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review. It'll take you all of three minutes. It helps us get in front of more people. And more importantly, it helps your peers find the show because when they see all those four and five stars, they know it's worth their time. Hey, tell us what you want to talk about because right now we interview the guests we want to talk to. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be happy to interview you or your company if y'all touch HSD in some fashion or if you have recommendations. Go leave a review. Let us know what you think. And then if you like the show do us a favor share it share it with family friends loved ones um you know your bridge club people at work whatever we uh we have a website which we've mentioned a couple times so it's only ask hsne uh, every show will be published there if you go there make sure you give us your email address and the e- email sign up form uh, we'll promise not to spam you but it would be the first place that we announce any of the new stuff we're doing and then we can't do any of this without thanking our on the road sponsors so for 2017 lee heck and harrison um, they're the, the reason we're able to go to all these events. They're global experts in talent management. Uh, Lee Heck and Harrison is currently helping over 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies work and deal with the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. So if you need some help there, go check them out. They're a great company. Patrick, where are we going to be? Are we at the Texas Open Innovation Conference, right? Texas Open Innovation Conference. We're going to be at the BP MS150 at the end of April. And then OTC. The OTC and Shrimp Boil. Um, Actually, uh, NOV's OTC Shrimp Boil. And we'll also be at the OTC floor. That's right. We will be on the floor, so you all got to have to come find yeah. us at the Red Wing booth and just walking around as well. Yeah, and we're actually doing a podcast from the floor. Yep, yep. Um, so if you'd like Patrick and I to come talk to your HSE organization, your gun club, your conference, your school, your trade association, whatever, reach out to Patrick and I. We'll be happy to share the details. Russell, once again, man, it was great. Thanks for having you on the show. Thanks well, for thanks coming. thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. You ready to get out here, Patrick? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. told you I come from the service side of the oil and gas industry. Uh, we were uh, doing the drilling fluids on a rig one time um, in Louisiana. 
and Mike Rowe shows up to do dirtiest jobs. Oh, that is cool. That is cool. The, the, the thing about it is, and I've been told this about a lot of other so-called reality shows, uh, and again, your, your audience won't remember this, uh, but, but years ago I sat and listened to a speech from the son of Red Adair. And that was not long after the movie by John Wayne called Hellfighters had been produced, which was about Red Adair's company. So I asked him, I said, how much of that stuff was really, you know, realistic, accurate? He says about 80% Hollywood. <laughs> well, the Dirty Jobs was 80%. They, they got Mike up there, and they've got, him, they've got him dumping a bag of caustic soda into the pit. No gloves, no mask, and the and the and the dare cam behind him saying, "Now be careful, that's dangerous stuff." Then they then they go and make a connection on a pipe and they leave the pump on. <laughs> and it was definitely that was definitely a dirty job. Absolutely. 